0: Be sure to hit that subscribe button to make sure you get notifications when we launch a new episode, or you can join us live on Twitter Spaces, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Pacific, 10 a.m. Eastern, every morning and become part of the conversation yourself. Thank you again. We look forward to giving you the best Bitcoin content daily here on the Cafe Bitcoin Podcast.
1: Are you getting ready to tell a client to hoddle and you just want to
0: pronounce it the right way (laughs) i won't say that word with clients for fuck's sake jesus
2: (laughs) did you have to give any clients some hugs this weekend or were they all pretty chill or do they not know it's the price do they not care or what's what was your weekend like
0: yeah nobody said a word to me except for hey i'm thinking of wired some more money
2: (laughs) hell yeah man you're doing your job good
0: i don't gotta do anything these people know what's up
2: that's so awesome
0: no seriously like some of them some of them ask about stuff like that, but we just talk about the long-term. People who buy with Swan, a lot of times, they're brand new. They need a lot of hand-holding. And, um, you know, some of them are a little freaked out sometimes. But a lot of the really larger clients, man, they just get it. They see what's happening. They're smart. You know, that's that's the exciting thing about, because in Swan Private, I work with a lot of business owners. And business owners are by nature. They're out of the box thinkers. They kind of see down a little farther down the road and they see, they see what's happening. Smart people.
2: And I thought, uh, well, both like, I ant and wicked. It's pretty sweet. So uh, I liked both of your uh, aunt. I didn't know you had the website, the, uh, I forgot what it was called. I'm sorry, but it, you, you time, time something.
3: Time yeah. And, time time think time, that's, time,
2: yeah. That's so awesome. I, you, you put me onto that this weekend pretty cool
3: yeah thanks for uh calling it out jacob yeah um time chain stats that's mine and then also btc lexicon they're like little sister sites so
2: you should throw those in the nest if you if you can throw those up for people who who are interested in something like that
3: yeah that's really generous i will i i'd I'd never really like to shill my own stuff but i really do appreciate the love and i will put it up but i appreciate the offer to put it in the space I mean, I built those sites for me, essentially, and they have kind of been taken off recently, and I'm glad about that. Um, but again, I mean, I don't make any money from them or anything. There's no, like, money-making opportunity or any of that. It's just, uh, you know, sites that I made for myself to kind of help myself throughout this journey. And, uh, you know, it's really they've, – they've both transformed quite a bit because of user feedback. So um, that part I'm really excited about.
1: Some of the best tools out there are born out of someone just doing it because
3: they want it for themselves. (laughs) Yeah, I originally did it because I didn't, you know, when you first come in, there was all these, uh, like, it's a little different now. But like in 2017, everything was like kind of siloed, you know, it was like different information on different places and very hard to like trust different things. And so I just kind of started, it used to just be a bulletin board, just like a web page. Um, but then it just kind of kept adding. I would add stuff. If I see something I like, I throw it in there, try to improve it. If somebody's doing something else, I'm like, hmm, that's pretty cool. I can make it better and put it on the site if it makes sense. But it's also the fact that it's like Bitcoin only. Like I didn't want any other crappy coins on there. Back in the day, I was using like coin market cap and crap. And you know, and then of course they got bought by Binance. So it's like you never really know, you know. I just and then the, the recently, y'all might remember that like all these price portals went haywire because they're basically like pulling from like a couple of sources. Well, our site, you know, didn't go down. It was fine. So thank you very much, Jacob, for calling it out.
2: For sure, man. And I, I'm if you don't want to shill it, I'm going to shill it. I threw it up there in the nest for you. I have no problem shilling stuff. <laughs> thank you. No issue. Yeah. We're going to be shilling some of... uh Sean Amick, the fall of Fiat's work today. He's he's killing it, man. He's putting out like uh three Bitcoin magazine articles this week. Um, doing really great work, or maybe even four. I don't know. I can't keep count. But uh we're gonna be going over a couple of those, talking just more like centered conversation. But if you guys have an opportunity, I'm gonna throw those into the nest. Go give those some love. Check those out. They're incredible articles. So
4: thanks, man. I appreciate that.
0: So Sean, well what we normally do is just talk about what's going on for the first 15 minutes or so, let people filter in, and then we'll uh we'll dive into your articles and your thoughts. uh does everybody think the bottom's in?
1: No. Wow, that's a crazy question. <laughs> Who knows? Why right? is it, but
0: why is that a crazy question? No, Are I'm you, an I'm opinion poll.
1: No, I'm kidding. What I meant by that is I'm I'm just not smart enough to know. So it looks it would look like it, right? We've had um, on the four-hour chart, which I don't look at them that much. We've had green candles for basically forty something out, you know, for so a couple of days. But you know, you keep hearing the people that are much smarter than me saying we could certainly go into the low thirties again. So
5: I I just say I don't know. Someone else probably does. <laughs> I always assume that we've bottomed out no matter where we are.
1: Yeah, I DCA daily, so it doesn't matter in one sense. It, it's very interesting to try to figure all this out, but uh, I DCA daily now. So in, in one sense, it doesn't matter.
6: <laughs> Technical analysis can give you an edge, but it's certainly not uh, magic. I mean, you're, you're not going to know for sure.
0: Fundamentals matter as well. Wait a minute. You're telling me my TA horoscope's wrong, or doesn't matter? It's right for you, Alex. Okay, just making sure.
2: <laughs> I think it's great. Well, it's like all my all my life goals are getting a lot easier. You know what I mean? Stacking this is a lot easier than it was a month ago. So,
1: you know, he's not on here, but you know, Dr. Jeff participates a lot, and uh, you know. I know he probably still thinks that we could go back down again.
5: So he's very biased because he's uh, he's shorting it right now. So I wouldn't listen to a word he says.
4: To be honest, I'm way happier on the dips than I am whenever it's ripping.
0: <laughs> me too. Wow, you and me are, are alike that way. I'm actually happy
5: when it's dipping because I'm I'm like yeah, num, no, num, no, num, no, num. No. Yeah, you can tell, you know, the people who aren't happy when it's dipping, they're the ones who have, you know, really fucking big stacks. So you can always tell the, the ones who are, or or the ones who are over leveraged, obviously.
0: No, no, not know. It's um, a function of a conviction. It's, it's a ratio, or, or I don't know if ratio is the right term, but it's a function of stack compared to conviction. Like if your conviction is really, really, really high, you're going to be happy on the dips.
6: The people that are most angry are the altcoiners.
5: That's a good point. <laughs> That's I, a have run good point. Into, I have run into a few a few people on, on Twitter where it's I know they have the conviction, but they're just getting impatient, which is strange because, you know, I mean, Bitcoin, you're supposed to have low time preference. But I think some of them have, you know, these big stacks and they just want to see, uh, you know, their purchasing power uh, get higher. And they, and they also, I think, they, they see that a, an increase in price kind of further accelerates adoption, which in their minds, you know, I don't know, maybe that's what's important in their minds is, is, is kind of how quick we get on to a Bitcoin standard because the world's kind of falling apart. And if we don't get on to it quickly, who knows how much pain could... Uh, could play out while we're uh, transitioning. And wicked,
6: that was my next point. After altcoiners, is all the people holding fiat. Those are the people in the most pain.
1: You know, I, um, I also kind of feel what you're saying, Wicked. But as a class of 2021, I'm you know behind on the on the accumulation. So I'm I'm happy when it's down so I can get more. But I'm sure. <laughs> I will transition and, at
0: some point. <laughs> you and me both, buddy. <laughs> I don't know if I'll ever reach that point, but okay. A couple of quick, interesting items going on out there. You guys paying attention? To what's happening in Canada with the truckers?
1: Yeah, that's interesting. Did you hear that Facebook shut down? Like a Facebook group of six hundred thousand people. That I guess the group was focused on these this truck driver thing. So yeah, it's
0: crazy. That's awesome. I don't know if this is true, but um, what people are saying is that, that these truckers are, are going to basically surround the Capitol until they lift the mandates.
1: How and long then, before they get there, do you know, Alex?
0: Uh, I, I have no idea. Um, but one person was saying that there's this line of trucks that's like 100 kilometers long at this point.
7: Oh, yeah, I saw that. Good morning, by the way, guys. Good morning, Um, people. Yeah, I I was wondering what that was about. I was kind of trying to get my my dose of news this morning, and I saw all these people shooting off fireworks as this line of trucks were just going by. So that must be what it is. Wow. It's
0: exciting, man. Leave it to the truckers.
7: Heck, yeah.
1: I think some, I'm sorry, Alex, I think there's even some American truckers that are participating.
0: It's cool to watch. Something else that I saw this morning, Kenny Florian tweeted out that uh, Bitcoin settlement volume has surpassed Visa payment volume. It's kind of an apples and orange comparison, I guess, but. Still did know, you say? Uh, did you say Kenny Florin
1: sent that out? Yep. It's funny. I I I got twenty one dollars from him through Swan when he was doing the gift giveaway
8: thing. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, hello. Good morning. Um, I was wondering, like these are. Uh, You know, yesterday I was trying to bring up this Russia news and um, what is going on. So I'm wondering how true is the headline from Bitcoin magazine about Russia and uh, Putin's statement?
0: I didn't catch the question. What did you say?
8: No, there is this head, um, I I, I think I just saw on Twitter this morning, Russia making a statement ha- about having an advantage in Bitcoin mining.
1: Yeah, I can put it in the nest. I just saw it as well. But.
7: Yeah, it was, uh, it was Putin that had made the the statement about that that they have a quote unquote advantage. So nobody knows what that means, though.
8: I think he's I think he's using that as a kind of leverage on what is going on currently, possibly?
5: Well, maybe their advantage is that they're in a cold climate, (laughs) so they don't have to cool the machines. Yeah, I have no idea.
8: Makes you wonder who has been stuck in this deep all the way
2: all of us everybody in this room
8: yeah definitely
2: so black swan
7: hey, the russians have heaps of cheap electricity in siberia so yeah it's pretty cheap i was just thinking um, my thought has always been that like um, china russia india uh, sorry china russia iran adopting bitcoin to skirt u.s sanctions is probably one of the biggest threats to global adoption. So I was just wondering what you
0: guys think. Can you repeat that, please?
7: My view has just always been that um, Russia, China, or Iran adopting Bitcoin to skirt U.S. sanctions has always been one of the biggest threats
0: to Bitcoin. Um, So just wondering what you guys think how could that be a threat to bitcoin can you elaborate on that uh, It could just force the west
7: uh, western europe and the us to take a much harsher stance towards bitcoin adoption because of the threat poses to like the
0: us petrodollar right so that wouldn't really be a threat to bitcoin it would be a threat to people in in the west i think
8: i think i think it's the other way around
0: explain ghost what do you mean by that what do you mean it's the other way around
8: I think we it's, may have lost. He him. thinks it's going to be a threat to. Go, go ahead. you
2: that You left. Are you uh, dropped?
8: Yeah, yep. yeah. No, I, I was. I was thinking it's going to be the other way around. That um, the game theory on Bitcoin is too strong to be to Bitcoin's disadvantage. So when other nations who Bitcoin is the like we always say is the money for enemies. So when other countries begin to use this as a form of leverage against the current world power, it, it actually brings forth Bitcoin to the um, view of many more people around the world. So I think that is going to be like <laughs> possibly the beginning of a super cycle for Bitcoin when countries are now using it as a kind of leverage in, in, uh, instead of the usual pattern of cold wars, People are now using Bitcoin to like, say, well, we know you cannot control this, and we can run on these rails. I think it can actually boost Bitcoin rather than be at, at a, a kind of
0: disadvantage. Yeah, I get that, and I agree. Okay, so, let's do this. Guys, let's not dive down that rabbit hole. Let's, uh, let's focus on the topic for today. We've got a couple of things coming up. We've got right now we've got Sean Hoddle up on stage, the fall of Fiat. He's dropped three articles into Bitcoin magazine. And uh we're gonna be start we're gonna be covering some of these. So Sean, thanks for hanging out. Welcome up.
4: Yeah, man. Thanks for bringing me on, guys. I really appreciate the opportunity to come up and speak.
0: Where to start? I mean, you've got three articles here. They're all interesting. Um, one about the US dollar with Bitcoin leaving the gold standard. I mean, we should probably start there. I'm thinking because that's the history part of it. And then um, you've got some really interesting points in your other articles about the various different layers and in comparisons to uh, the way internet technology was con- constructed, but do you want to just give us a brief? I mean, the article is pretty in depth, so I don't know if you can do a brief summary. But you want to give us a summary on the uh, replacing the U.S. dollar with Bitcoin, leaving the gold standard article.
4: Yeah. So for me, the uh, the idea to kind of write this series of articles. So there's there's three. There's the the first one, which is uh, leaving the gold standard. There's the second one, which is Discussing uh, the architecture of the fiat system as it relates to like OSI uh, networking standards. And then the third one uh, breaks down what a Bitcoin standard looks like whenever compared to like a TCCP uh, IP standard. (laughs) And the idea was, you know, there's been a lot of criticism over the years of Bitcoin not being able to scale, not being able to be used as a currency, yada, yada, yada. And in reality, the networking effect and a lot of the necessities to be put in place for it to operate as a currency are already in place. Uh, So I really wanted to discuss kind of how we've already left a previous system before for a new one that we, you know, that at the time was thought to, you know, be better than our previously existing system because we left the you know the gold standard to go to fiat because we needed to to be able to sustain you know war efforts so the first article breaks down kind of how we wound up losing uh the gold standard which in a very brief summation is through a lot of global efforts uh during world war one you know countries like Austria, Germany, France—they had abandoned gold standards very, very quickly uh, in the early days of the war, whereas America held on to a somewhat of a pseudo gold standard uh, for you know as long as it could. And that position of maintaining a pseudo gold standard, whereas everyone else jumped to fiat to solve their problems allowed the united states to kind of build itself up as a creditor within this pseudo gold standard Uh, and because of that it, it created opportunity for america to become a world reserve currency where everyone would eventually you know funnel their gold through america but then whenever other countries france in particular decided that within their fiat system they wanted to you know completely slash the rates devalue the currency you know gold started immediately flowing out of the united states and whenever gold started flowing out you know we had to shut down our exchanges we had to shut down ability uh, the ability to redeem gold and all these things and it eventually led to you know 1971 nixon coming out and just saying all right no more gold redemption You know, we're going on a fiat standard after they created the Bretton Woods thing and all that. So that's like a, a very brief overview. But the idea was to understand that we've had sound money before. And we left it. We abandoned it. Why? Well, Because there needed to be global cooperation to maintain that sound money perspective. And we failed to do that because that sound money wasn't able to sustain the war efforts at the time.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting. So, like one thing that I would like to point out that struck me, that might be interesting to the to the listeners is is that we abandoned gold largely to pursue war. And this is uh this is a really good example of why you know, I used to think gold was the only way back to an honest monetary system because it exerted some kind of fiscal discipline on politicians who wanted to spend more money than they could raise in taxes and i believed that for a really long time until i understood what bitcoin really was and realized that like that gatekeeper function of gold just the ability of of mankind to say no we're not going to use this because we want to engage in war or we want to create this other fiat system that in itself is a huge problem and and with bitcoin the beauty of it is, is that You're not going to change the amount available or the amount that gets mined every block just because some powerful person in the Fed or some politician or group of politicians who want to wage war decide that they need more money. So it's pretty fascinating. Do you have any rebuttal thoughts on that? Yeah, I
4: I think safe. Has discussed this and you know, a number of other people. This isn't like an original thought, but an actual sound money principled economy, uh, not a pseudo gold standard like what we tried to maintain through war efforts, like an actual sound money standard. i, I it, it creates a responsibility to just make smarter decisions. You can't throw yourself into an endless war effort that you can't sustain like there has to be a way for you to generate the revenue necessary and if you can't if, if the political powers it be if whatever centralized authority that makes those decisions can't just endlessly print then it is going to it's going to cause more you know low time preference thinking and people are going to make more long-term decisions which Will more than likely like we probably wouldn't be dealing with this Russia Ukraine thing if there wasn't an endless abundance of currency that Russia has control over. If there wasn't, you know, a up uh, an entire pipeline that Russia can just shut down to try and damage Ukraine uh, while they try and build a direct pipeline to uh, to Germany so they can like route them out like things like this that are made purely out of just political base i feel like those decisions wouldn't be as prominent and a sound money principled economy prevents not all war but it'll definitely make you think a lot harder about whether or not you want to go to war
0: well it just remove it just removes the the resource right like if if you are if you're a politician that's that's pushing for war and you simply do not have the resources to commit then i mean it's just not an option if in the back of your mind you know that you can just you know make some phone calls and and create enough momentum to get the political sort of will behind it and then just turn on the printing presses and do whatever you want it's kind of an irresistible power that History has proven human beings have been unable to resist.
4: Right, and it, so one of the things, and this is this is going to be in the the fourth article that I write in this series. Um, I, I want to discuss the system of incentives because I think that this is one of the most important parts. Because if we've already had sound money once, and we we chose to leave that, even if America tried to hold on to it for selfish reasons just so they could become a creditor state whatever there needs to be an incentive to maintain global cooperation because if we have the exact same thing that happened before and we have a bitcoin standard where everyone's operating on the same page there but then suddenly we have some major national power that steps up and says okay well you know, we want to go back to fiat, we want to devalue our currency, we want to try and do this so we can get all this manufacturing sent to our country, blah, 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 blah. Like, the incentive system has to be able to maintain global cooperation of sound money principles. And I think that that's one of the biggest things that's not really talked about a whole lot uh, in, in the Bitcoin space is how do we maintain that at a global scale to make sure that everyone's incentivized. And I think that Bitcoin does a good job at properly incentivizing people to do the right things. But the big thing that I want to discuss in the next article is do we successfully provide the incentives to maintain global cooperation?
0: Yeah, I'm really looking forward to that article because uh, I agree. You rarely hear anybody talking about this kind of stuff and we're on a Bitcoin standard. That's exactly true. Inevitably, someone's going to try to uh move things in their favor um cool so let's talk about the uh the layers so to replacing the us dollar with bitcoin dismantling fiat architecture um and you use the analogy of the tcp ip model the open systems interconnection osi model talk to us a little bit about that
4: yeah so um (laughs) I <laughs> actually got a, a decent bit of backlash on, on this article uh, because I was comparing it to OSI, which is used as a conceptualized network model that's not actually used because we didn't use OSI. We use, uh, you know, TCPIP. So the reason that this first article, Dismantling Fiat Architecture, is based on OSI is because OSI is uh, inefficient. And that's, that's the point. I, I wanted to compare one inefficient system to another. <clears throat> so OSI has seven layers. So you have the physical layer, uh, which is gold, on a gold standard. So this whole article is based on whenever we're still on a gold standard. Uh, and then whenever we leave it, you know, there's the layer two, which is the data link layer. And this is how nodes communicate. So like in in, in Bitcoin, uh, the layer two is built into the base layer because that node communication already exists. But in fiat, uh, you have a central node with the Federal Reserve uh, and you know all the other institutions that make up the fiat structure, but the Federal Reserve serves as the central node. <clears throat> uh, so it breaks down... All these different these uh, these seven different layers and how they communicate. The layer three network uh, talks about creating kind of paper based IOUs. Uh, transport talks about how how gold uh, was able to be transported across time. Uh, you know, you hear safety and talk about salability sailabil- salability across time. All- <clears throat> and in all of his writing, uh, layer five is sessions, which is basically. Token based applications within fiat, uh, so like stocks, bonds, ETS, futures, real estate. So those are representations of capital allocation that don't actually use whatever the denomination of currency is. So you, when you buy a stock, you're holding a completely separate asset than just holding currency. Obviously, so that's a way of tokenizing within the the uh, the fiat standard that we're cur- that we're currently in. Uh, layer six is presentation, which is kind of how all of these things d- are designed together. So you see it at the end level at the user interface. So this is, you know, your stock brokerage account whenever you're pulling up your ThinkOrSwim app on your phone. And then layer seven is the actual application. So how all of these things, you know, uh, kind of come together. So the point of of this article is to one compare it to. An inefficient conceptualized system, uh, because we've already taken something at its base layer that was hard to move, which is gold, and then we added, you know, layer two, so all of these central banks could talk. Then we added a layer three, which was the network. So now this, uh, all of these central banks can now communicate with smaller banks and actually use your wallet addresses, you know, in, in in Bitcoin, which is your bank account with your account number and your routing number and all that. And how we were able to take something as solid and real as gold and be able to take this across time and understand how that was achieved. So that was the that was the point of of the first article. And then the next one goes into the actual network protocol that we use, TCPIP, and which is a far more efficient system that uses much less layers than this one and actually allows the layers to operate. Uh, kind of interchangeably, like the, it's not linear. So like in the fiat system, it's very linear. You have to go from layer one to layer two to layer three to layer four and so on and so forth. Uh, In a, in a Bitcoin standard, it kind of allows the layers to speak to one another at will when necessary. So you might not need to use the layer two. So you might be able to jump right to layer three.
0: <clears throat> something, something that might be, Um, interesting to consider too is is that in the fiat system at almost all of those layers you've got a middleman or a middle entity so to speak taking a tiny cut of the action at every step so not only is it inefficient but it's costly and it introduces, introduces the whole gatekeeper problem which means you need everybody's permission to transact we have people who try to send wires for example into SWAN and sometimes their banks are blocking them I mean, I, ha- I have clients who complain about it. They're like, "My bank won't let me wire this," and it's uh, it's crazy because they're like, "Well, it's my money," and um, you know they end up having to explain what it's for and all this other kind of stuff. So, huge gatekeeper problem. Same is true for gold. Go ahead.
4: Yeah, and that's uh, and that kind of goes into the uh, you know slightly into the the lightning network article. Uh, that kind of discusses layer two specifically uh, within the fiat structure, and just how unbelievably difficult it is to be able to participate in the layer two of fiat. Like you need permission from you know at least a couple of different regulatory entities. You need your entire business plan mapped out. You need your entire senior management uh, completely mapped out. You need your risk allocation completely mapped out. You need all of this stuff completely settled with permission from regulatory entities and then a massive amount of capital to be able to enter you know the layer two protocols of fiat so the barrier of entry the gatekeeper thing is just immense in the current system
0: yeah not to mention there's billions of people around the world that are unbanked because they maybe they don't have an address. I mean some countries don't even have a postal system. You don't have a postal system. You don't have an address. Like there are countries in the world, and I'm not kidding, when parcels are delivered, it's based upon landmarks. Like you go down this road so far and then you turn at the the yellow banana tree or whatever. And then you go down a little farther and it's like behind the cow shed kind of stuff. So how do those people interface with the modern economy, right? All hugely important Points. Um, okay, Sean, can you maybe talk to us a little bit more about lightning? And then what I'd like to do is open it up. If any of the panelists have questions about any of the stuff or comments you want to add, or if you're in the audience and you have questions or comments, you can shoot me a question. If you want to come up on stage, shoot a DM to Jacob Pope, let him know what you want to talk about, and we'll bring you up as well.
4: Yeah, sounds good. Uh, so the the Lightning Network article. Uh, I was, I was at the uh, the Casa Key Fest uh, virtual event, and one question that just really kind of stuck in my mind was: Is Lightning centralized? Because there was a lot of discussion about all you know these these Lightning hubs that are popping up, and my reasoning for wanting to write this article was: I, I don't think that that's the correct question to ask. I don't think that that's. I don't think it's relevant. So, within the fiat system, as we were just discussing, it's, it's very hard to operate within the layer two of fiat. You got to go through all these regulatory entities. You got to have the whole business plan. You got to have all this capital. Blah 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 blah. <clears throat> within the Bitcoin standard, all you need is electricity and an internet connection, and you can operate on the layer two of Bitcoin. <clears throat> you you don't even need bitcoin you don't need a node you know uh, lightning labs basically serves as a broker for those services now so you can go through someone who already has a channel and you can just pay them to use that channel you can go through someone who already has the necessary you know sats and liquidity to provide that to your channel so all you need is is powering some internet to go on and use these brokered services and now you've opened a lightning channel and to put it simply a lightning channel is just two people agreeing that they want to make some really fast transactions so me and alex we're going to open a channel between one another and that channel is going to be unlimited in transactions i'm going to put in some bitcoin he's going to put in some bitcoin and we're going to be able to use that total amount of bitcoin in that channel. And if we want to do that for the next five years, that's fine. You know, we, we can do that. And once we finish up, once we say, okay, we no longer need this channel, it closes up. And then all that transactions, those channel states that we created every time that we spent money within this channel, gets broadcast to uh, the, on- the on-chain, to Bitcoin. So you have the exact same immutable security as every other on-chain transaction that's ever happened on Bitcoin. And we did it with insanely fast rates, exceptionally low transaction fees. And we we did it with little to no barrier to entry. So when people ask the question, is Lightning becoming centralized? Their concern is that there's a rise of these, these things called Lightning hubs. You know, just wealthy individuals or companies that are you know, creating large amounts <clears throat> of, of Lightning nodes and, you know, oper- operating these hubs and trying to, you know, make some profit off of maintaining the network. By all means, that's awesome. Is it's, sorry, if you hear my dog barking, she gets upset sometimes. <laughs> um, so if we have the ability for anyone to join at any time, which is what Bitcoin is, it's a philosophy of free choice we can't step in and say well just because you have a lot of money we're going to limit the amount of nodes that you can have that makes no sense can't do that so should we pay attention to to the lightning hubs as they grow as they you know if if anyone was to ever try and exert any sort of malicious intent yes absolutely pay attention to those things watch those things they should be they should be talked about but the idea that that somehow centralizes the network i don't think is the appropriate framing Because at any point, anybody in this space currently and anybody in the world with electricity and an internet connection can create a node. And to me, that's decentralization.
0: It's decentralization and it's peer-to-peer, right? Which is like possibly the highest form of decentralization because they're all non-coercive agreements. These are completely voluntary situations that you can pull out of any time, right? Right. And the interesting thing about that is let's say let's let's talk about that example where you have one centralized sort of player who has a ton of nodes set up and you know they do they wanna do some kind of rug pull activity where they shut them all off or something. I mean, if I'm not if I'm understanding it correctly, everybody gets their Bitcoin back. And, you know, it's gonna be to me, it's kind of akin to the Chinese miners shutting down, half the hash power goes away temporarily, but there's incentives for people to fire up other nodes, right? So all of that should be replaced. Right.
4: And that's yeah, you know, what we were talking about earlier. That's that's the system of incentives working, right? Like whenever the hash rate drops, well now, okay, the difficulty adjustment's gonna adjust, it's it's gonna go down. So now it's a little bit more profitable this week to mine than it was last week. So now everyone has incentive to bust out miners and to get in there and try and make as much bitcoin as possible. So that's the system working the way that it's designed to. It's bitcoin is it's just a beautiful system of incentives that time and time again proves that it's it's set up to win. So I I think that the only conversation left is is that
0: maintained globally? Yeah, that's awesome. It's beautiful. Like in, in The analogy that I think of is, is the difference between Visa MasterCard, for example, who run this centralized system where they can monopolize or create a monopoly on the fees, where with Lightning, you've got basically people competing to be a Visa node, so to speak, and it, it drives the prices down. It's brilliant, all of it. Shane, go ahead.
1: Hey, I was just curious, um, you know, what you, your thoughts on... Companies like Voltage, you know, where you can basically procure a lightning node, you know, in the cloud. I mean, obviously, it's still kind of dedicated to you and what you want to do with it. But do you have any thoughts on that? Good, bad, you know, doesn't matter. I'm just curious. I love it. As uh, just simply put, th- there are going
4: to be these companies that, that come out like Voltage. And obviously, there's some amount of central authority that comes with that. Right. Like if you're going through a cloud or something that they host, or, you know, they're maintaining, <clears throat> you know, if we, if, if you go through like, I don't know, compass mining or something and they're maintaining your, uh, your miners on your behalf or something like that, like there's, there's some, there's some trust that's involved, but it's the evolution of the network. So like to take where we're at now with Lightning Labs, with Voltage, with Compass Mining, and to assume that like this is it, you know, this is, this is where everything stops, this is the peak, the, The market's not going to evolve over the course of the next 15 years i'm fully supportive of any company that is trying its best to one add two nodes on the network and two trying to make this more easily accessible in the form of a user interface to everyday users because one of the biggest things that's successfully maintained you know a lot of uh what's the uh that article from like 2016, the mops uh, from from coming in uh, <laughs> that, that don't really know what's going on, has been the difficulty that it is to operate on, on Bitcoin on chain. Uh, and that's made sure that the people that are involved know what's going on. The development's been able to take its time and that's necessary. But for true adoption over the course of time, you have to have these applications available in a much more easy way easily accessible way and i think companies like voltage and compass are doing that like are, are there negatives to these you know centralized companies that are kind of wielding this authority over this equipment over the software over whatever they're using sure pay attention to that obviously not your keys not your coins try and get everyone educated to that point uh but as long as it's creating entry and making it easier along the way i'm, I'm fully supportive
1: Yeah, thanks for that perspective.
0: Any of you have any thoughts on lightning or the OSI model as it pertains to the differences between the base layer of Bitcoin and the technologies that are being built on top of it?
1: You know, Alex, one thing I just want to share real quick and I think it was kind of brought up, it it, it um in the in a lot of these spaces that I get in, um, you know, that is one of the criticisms, right? And I, but that that basically what we do with lightning is not on layer one, you know, on the main chain. But I, I think it makes a lot of sense, right? And I think we can continue to educate the community and and detractors that you know, arguably, you don't want to be messing with layer one, right? With with the money, with the final settlement, all those kind of things. You kind of want to protect that, keep it pristine and um you know build on top of it
4: yeah bit, i mean bitcoin by design was never meant to scale on chain and i think that's important and that's you know that's why the that's why the fork wars happened and all that because by design the base layer could not scale and it was never supposed to and that's why we have things like lightning that can step in and say hey we're going to offer you the same security the same immutability the same privacy that you're offered on chain, but we're going to allow you to do it really fast for cheap as many times as you want. <clears throat> and are you could say the exact same thing for a gold standard, like gold was never meant to scale, right? Like paper claims on gold had to we had we had to create paper claims in order to create salability, and then we had to create digital forms of those paper claims to allow it to have more transmissibility across time. So. The base layer of any really sound monetary value is never meant to scale. You have to create technology on top of it in order to achieve that scale.
0: Yeah, I don't really understand people who, who come from that perspective of the base layer must do everything. I mean, that's not the way the U.S. dollar system works, and it's the largest uh, payment system in the world. Seems fine. Good morning, Tao. How you doing?
8: Hey, good morning guys.
9: Um driving here, but I wanted to touch upon lightning and then you guys to talk about base layer scaling. So one of the things when I looked into Bitcoin four years ago was um, that was like I was concerned because it's, oh there's only this amount of transactions per second. I'm like, this is really cool and really neat that we have something that we can own that no one can. Pay an actual asset but that was one of my bigger concerns about
8: scaling I'm
9: like yeah that's cool and I can, I, I can huddle it and things like that but if I want to transfer someone the fact that it takes a long time that was actually a legitimate concern for me but as I read into okay well wait how does uh, Bitcoin design how is it implemented from a technical and a system perspective and I looked into it I'm like okay this is not going to be easy, right? This is not going to be easy to scale based on how we have to mine and, and the blocks get you know, distributed across the network. Um, and, and I, but I heard the word lightning, right? And I heard the word, I'm like, okay, well, let's do what happens, right? But I kind of forgot about lightning because it still ha- it was still like early in this, this phase and really nothing was happening. And just uh, last year when lightning really took off, um, and I started playing around with it. I was scared of lightning because I was like, uh, this is too deep. Like, it sounds too deep for me. Like, I never looked into it. And I got scared. And so I ignored it. But then finally, I said, like, you know, let's just hear this out. Talk to a few plebs, work with it, and realize, oh, my gosh, this is crazy. That's all it took was literally just an hour. Like, I literally set up my lightning node within an hour after the parts got delivered from Amazon. I'm like, that's it? That easy? And then the other thing I realized was when I was playing around with it, I felt like I discovered Bitcoin for a second time. You know that feeling when you discover Bitcoin, like you really, really understand Bitcoin? It is an amazing feeling. This is like an amazing, tremendous feeling. So when I discovered Lightning, it had, had the same sort of like an epiphany or feeling so strongly. And I'm like, no, I need to play around with this. And that's how I started off by saying, hey, for this next, I think, 30 minutes uh, or an hour, whatever, I just sent stats to anybody who wanted stats. It was like on a weekend or something, because I am like, like, people kind of know about it. It's how easy. And I deleted a tweet already a long time ago, but there was a tweet that I posted. I said, like, in 30 minutes, I sent 40 lightning transactions all across the world, everywhere. I was listening to all the different countries. I couldn't write enough countries down, um, just so to, I could fit in a tweet. But that's how excited I was about the lightning network. And the most beautiful, okay, most beautiful thing about lightning that people need to know is that even though it's a second layer, it's not using like a derivative a bitcoin to do that transaction or a token or whatever you may be. At. It is so brilliant the way whoever designed it uses the same Bitcoin asset to do this transaction. It's just a beautiful thing. Like there's no new token. It's literally just using the same Bitcoin transaction. It's just that it's just locked up in a channel state. So when I I was like, this is so brilliant. I don't know how they do it. And then, they, so what happened when they do that? They maintain the decentralized aspect of Bitcoin, meaning anybody can run their own node. It's like, and there's no new sort of token derivative that's created from that. So, based on all those little different pieces, I was like, oh my God, this is like, this is second, this is, this is like unprecedented. Like, like people got to get on board. Thanks.
2: All say. No, I think that's an awesome point, man. Uh Ant, do you have a anything that you want to add or anything like that? You're like a lightning man, right?
3: No, not as much as Tao. You know, Tao knows way more than me. I'm more of like a a base layer. <laughs> like storing cold storage long-term savings account guy.
2: Well, that's awesome. Um, also, I mean, uh, what's up? What were you saying?
3: No, I was just going to add on, I mean, just to give color. I mean, you know, I don't transact in Bitcoin, you know, like I'm not spending Bitcoin today. I'm not going to go buy coffee with Bitcoin today. Uh, it's not, I'm glad that it exists, obviously, you know, for a long time, that was the problem. Like they would always give us, you know, grief that you couldn't buy a cup of coffee with a Bitcoin, even though you could technically but i mean lightning like alex was saying you know it's like people expect that like you know bitcoin is supposed to you know just like scale without any like layer two options or anything like that but it's i mean it's the same thing with like somebody said gold earlier i mean like what's the settlement transaction time for gold i mean how many transactions per second can you do with gold you know it's like it's such a like a silly notion and then these other Altcoins come along with with like these promises for faster transaction times, but it's like a ridiculous argument on its face when you really understand like what Bitcoin's trying to accomplish and what it stands for and how it really works. So for me, love Lightning. You know, I play around with Lightning. I have Moon Wallet and all that, but you know, guys like Tao know way more than that. I'm I'm more like long term long term storage. Keep it stored like Satoshi does.
1: I'll just add one other thing that I'm sure I know that the the panel certainly knows, but the audience may or may not know. And just tagging on with what Ant was saying, you know, all of these um, other projects again that claim uh, you know faster transactions, all that. um, You know, two major problems in my mind with those. They're you know, and since we are talking about centralization versus decentralization, they are heavily centralized because of the requirements of having a node for many of them or, or, you know, require considerable amount of hardware. And and they're also, those that are proof of stake, they're very easy to, it's very easy to um, change that system. And again, when we're talking about money, sound money, (laughs) the best money in the world, um, the last thing we want is for that to be easily change, like the monetary policy, for example. I think most of us hear all the time about some kind of change that's going on in these other projects. So I'm thankful that we have, actually, I think both of Satoshi's goals was not only, um, you know, both store of value and medium of exchange. And I'm also like, I'm not really spinning my Bitcoin. I use the Lightning Network to, um pay my kids so that they kind of learn it and know it but I also move some of that back on chain and although there's a little bit of transaction cost in doing that I, I that way I also help my kids see the full life cycle of that so
3: I love it all yeah I mean I agree Shane I mean this is this is what I was trying to tell my friends the other day you know like talking about in the future, there's I mean, other people say it, but I mean there's a very high I mean, if just the way that this thing is going and the way that monetary layers work, there's a very high, very high possibility. I mean, it's it's like you don't even call it a possibility. Like it's like an eventuality basically that in the future most people won't even be doing like on chain transactions, base layer one transactions, you know, like everyone's gonna be on this second layer. Like, you know, the world is gonna be moving on these like second and third layers i guess you know whatever but but the idea right now of this accumulation phase we're talking about well why is this accumulation phase so powerful why is this moment in time so powerful for like saving bitcoin you know adopting bitcoin why why do people say like we're still so early in the face of all of this news and all of this already you know adoption that we've hit it's because of that to me it's like you know there's only going to be so long to like accumulate, like, you know, like on this level, like where we are. And then in the future, the idea that like your grandkids will be like, like the idea that you would have been one of the barons, you know, like having on-chain transactions. I mean, that, that to me talks about how early we are. I am I love watching lightning get developed. I love all the work and all that, but it's like, I mean, <laughs> Get this Bitcoin while you can. I mean, pretty soon it's like, you're not going to be able to. And then everybody's going to be working on these layer two networks and that's it. You're going to get Bitcoin, but it's coming in the form of lightning or whatever, you know, it's it's interesting. That's what excites me.
1: It's like we're on, we're on the steam engine train, right? And our kids and grandkids will be on the, the bullet train.
0: <laughs> I wonder 10 years from now, if people are even going to talk about Um, base layer stuff as much. It it would be the equivalent of people talking about TCPIP for how the internet works. I mean, nobody talks about it. It's just ubiquitous. It works in the background. You don't even think about it. Very good point. The the thing about all of these altcoins that are supposedly solving some real-world problem is they're all centralized networks, right? They all have like some group of people who is in control of it, and at the end of the day, that, that brings us right back to the problem that Bitcoin solves all over again. And the other thing about that is, is that it's like, imagine if there were, how many altcoins have been launched now? Something like 17,000, do I have that number right?
3: I think it's like 30-something, right? I don't know. It's a okay, lot.
0: It's some, yeah, it's some stupid number. Imagine if there was 30,000 different TCPIP networks competing to see which one would become the internet. And imagine oh, having, sorry, Alex. Go ahead. I was just going to say,
1: to your point, to imagine, and I can't even imagine having to use 30, 40, 50 different coins, right, in, in order to participate in these different things. That's just right? crazy to me.
0: It's, it's like getting a different, like, it's like, you know, you know, it reminds me of oh, this is going to date me, but back in the day, there used to be video arcades that you could go to and they figured out that, um, you know, they could issue their own coins for the video arcades. Like it used to be back in the back in the day when they first came out. Some of you guys may remember this. All the younger people are gonna be like, what? But, you know, there was these slot video games where you could put in a quarter and you could play Pac-Man or whatever. And then, I know, right? (laughs) Stack and Sass is over here going, I can't believe you have to explain this to people. (laughs) So, And then these arcades figured out, oh, we'll we'll issue all of our own coins, and then people can't spend them anywhere else but here, right? It's the same kind of thing. It's like you have all these dumb arcade coins for 30,000 different TCP IPs when the dominant infrastructure already exists. So anyway. And, uh, and oh, go ahead, Dal. I was going to say really quick. And the other
10: thing is, the, the, the cool thing about Lightning is like it keeps the sort of the decentralization aspects, and it doesn't like prevent anybody who wants to join the network join. So it allows anybody who wants to join join easily. And then the one last thing I want to also add is, it has changed, and it, or it will change the way we transact in the future. That is, we no longer will need to say, hey, I'm going to pay for a month of subscription to listen to the radio or something, to some, no, XM, whatever you want to call it. But, but I can say, "You know, I'm, I'm driving to the beach in my car and I'm just going to turn it on for this one hour. And while I have this on for this one hour, I will be streaming SATs to the provider just for that one hour. And so it's like a pay-on-demand thing, and I'm only paying for one hour or even 30 minutes or whatever it may be. And I think that's going to be very valuable um, to the consumer. That's going to be something very valuable to even the, the provider because if they did that, I think a lot of people will be more incentivized to say, hey, why do not I pay? Yeah, why do not I just um, do this with this provider? Because like I think about like my cable bill. I pay a month like hundred bucks or more for my cable bill to watch TV, but I'll probably watch it for a a half a day in a whole month, and I have to pay the whole amount sort of thing. So I think that's going to change the 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 fact that we're going to have this sort of ability with Lightning. It's going to change the way we transact. And you think about it. Right now, there's no other technology or or any payment rail or whatever you can think of can that has this ability.
0: Yeah,
3: it cuts both ways. It can be kind of scary for some of the participants in the market. Like we talk about um, some of this in oil and gas. Like the 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 drilling rigs. You know, a, a typical drilling rig will be, you know, several hundreds of millions of dollars, right? But it's got like you know all of these widgets. Let's call them widgets, and you know, tools that are being brought onto the onto the platform to do different things. But a lot of times. You know, they're not like a part of the rig. They're like a third party, you know, service or a tool that's being introduced to the the well site. And so, you know, there's like a day rate and then there's like a cost of using it. And then like at the end of the job, whenever the, you know, thing is performed and the job is done, then, you know, the, you know, everybody gets paid. But there's a concept like, well, what if you could stream it like as it's being used, you know, like there was a guy and he was walking around talking about like, uh, using lightning for something like this. And it didn't get any traction with the, with the drillers on the first conversations, at least because, uh, the, like the, the, I mean, I was in the room, the, the feeling in there was like, they didn't want to have their costs like pushed to zero basically. Like, like, like the people who were, uh, like the drillers are like, you know, being able to like pay for exactly what they're using. Like that would be you know, like a good idea, but for the, for the third party vendors, like they're, they're like getting, uh, like a shaft a little bit on that because their cost is, there's no wiggle room to like, you know, uh, in our current system, there's a lot of like, we say like wiggle room where like, you know, a billable hour or a billable something doesn't really take a full hour, but they're still billing for the hour because of the work or the time required for that you know, to happen. But in a case where we're paying through like streaming, um, the costs and and everything is going to go to very, very slim. The margin is going to get cut very tight. And that's like a challenge to kind of get over when pitching some of these, you know, ideas to, to like industry
0: folks. That's just the nature of disruption. And to me, it's pretty exciting because legacy finance is being disrupted and for a really long time, you know, they've engaged in a lot of parasitic behavior. It's it, it, I, I wonder how many people would argue that they're really providing a, a valuable service to humanity. I mean, I know credit's important, but a lot of the stuff that's been created in the last well, fifty years is, in my mind,s pretty questionable. It's all about the alchemy of repackaging derivatives to stack or yield essentially. But wanna just quickly. Um, thanks Sean Hoddle for, for talking about the articles that he wrote. Appreciate you, man. I appreciate the fact that you are contributing to the community, teaching people, helping people. And, uh, thanks for coming, man.
4: Hey, thanks for giving me the opportunity to come up guys. I really appreciate it. It was a lot of fun.
0: Absolutely. You're welcome to hang out. We're going to be in the second hour. We're going to be shifting to Eric, Eric Yakes as the, uh, featured guest. He's got an article that just dropped, um, what is Bitcoin backed by? So we're going to be diving into that in just a minute. Before we do that, really quickly, just a couple of quick things. Cafe Bitcoin is now available on Spotify as a podcast. If you're interested in catching when those are posted, throw Jacob Pope up here a follow. He, he tweets out when those things go live. We will be attending the Bitcoin 2022 conference. By we, I mean me and I think Ant's going, and Shane, and Jacob, and a bunch of other people. If you're going, be really cool to connect. If you don't have a ticket yet, you can use the promo code SWAN to get 10% off if you want to do that. Um, And then, yeah, Eric Yakes, welcome to the stage. How are you doing? Good morning. By the way, I love your new hat.
11: Yo, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me up. Um, Yeah, just been flipping burgers the past few weeks. It's been nice.
0: Gotta mind that fiat, man, because I heard Bitcoin died again.
11: Yeah, I don't think it's. Uh, I don't think it's coming back this time. But it's good. I'm a fan of McDonald's. I like to. Uh, I like. I like working there, so I, I can tuck it out for a little more longer.
0: Outstanding. Well, thanks for coming and hanging out with us. Always appreciate it. Um, your most recent article what is Bitcoin backed by people? Um, I'm just going to read this real quick thing and I'll let you dive in. People often say Bitcoin can't be money. It isn't backed by anything. I hear that all the time too. What do you think?
11: Yes. Yeah, so the, you know, I wrote this article as, um, as a way to kind of help people reframe, um, a lot of what's thought about this idea of like what backs money because when i'm frequently talking to you know the average person about money they'll say you know it's not backed by anything and um and it's important i think and the reason that i make this distinction and write this article is i think it's really important for people to kind of reframe that type of thinking for themselves because that What's implied in that idea is that all money needs to be backed by something. And then that's all ultimately led to this narrative that you see a lot of different people in the Bitcoin community arguing on behalf of saying, well, it's backed by energy. It's backed by proof of work. It's backed by the community. It's backed by cryptography. It's backed by all these different things. It's backed by the code. Um, And. And I think it's important to reframe that type of thinking because it's not to say by the way that people are intending when they say it, it's like, okay, yes, it is backed by those things from your definition of backed. Um, but when you're talking about something under the context of money, then backing has a very important meaning backing implies that it's a redeemable form of currency and, um, And that's not what Bitcoin is. And the reason that redeemable currencies really emerged was when we had monies emerge that needed to be backed by some other form of money. So, you know, throughout history, when you think about primitive money, uh, primitive money was things, you know, like shells or, you know, necklaces with beads or bones or axes, flints, furs, pelts, all these different forms of money. You know, those weren't backed by anything those were simply commodities that were scarce and they maintained certain properties within a particular geography that made them a good form of money they you know they had certain monetary properties and we can we can look at this and you know economic theory shows us that and this is a very defined framework in economics of having monetary properties is what makes a good or, ser- or makes a good something that is desirable as money so we can look throughout history and we can be like, okay, a lot of those primitive forms of money, they maintained these monetary properties. And there's like six defined properties. And um, and then we can look at the evolution of money from you know these primitive forms of money into the precious metal era. And we can say, okay, well, the precious metals ultimately eclipsed these primitive forms of monies as being the most commonly used form of money because they had superior monetary properties. And then when we look at... Um, You know, on that point, so we can look at, you know, like gold and silver, their inflation rates were typically much lower than a lot of the primitive forms of money. And that was a primary attribute that was desirable. They were also much more durable since they were metals, as opposed to some of these other forms of money that, you know, could erode much more quickly or crack or break, Um, you know, uh, in terms of like, you know, portability, somewhat more similar. Um, in terms of things like divisibility, it was a bit easier. Once we transitioned into coinage systems of the precious metals, then divisibility was actually much, much more efficient. Um, fungibility was a bit easier. It's easier to craft these things with you know forms of smithing, um, et cetera, et cetera. That's kind of how to think about it. And um, when we transitioned to paper money... People were like, "Okay, well, it's hard to move metals around all the time. They're heavy, and we have to carry a significant amount of them on person. If we are starting to transact in higher values as people gain more wealth, um, it's actually much more efficient for us to use paper receipts. And it's not—it's not as if this phenomenon just like emerged um, with a conversation of people. This kind of just was something that we can, you know, empirically observe emerge throughout history, um, and um, when." paper receipts started being traded it was much more efficient to like store gold in vaults and for whoever was holding that gold as like you know the effective banker could issue a checkable deposit receipt it was just a piece of paper that entitled them to redeem the value of that receipt in gold from them so it had value because you could redeem it in gold now why why was that important because paper was much more efficient when we had the inventions of you know First, the printing press, and then um, double-entry bookkeeping accounting, And then the telegraph, these things really streamlined the ability to use paper over, you know, say the 16th through, um, or, you know, 15th centuries all the way up until, uh, you know, telegraph was around the 19th century. So that kind of period was a big evolution for paper money to become this very efficient form of trade because paper allowed us to very quickly, um, move value across distances. It was highly efficient in that manner. And it conducted trade all over Europe using this form of money, um, so, because paper was so efficient, we're like, great! It's pretty much superior to precious metals and all these properties, but it's not scarce. So we need to back it with something that is scarce, and that's why you know gold maintained its value as a commodity money, and then paper took its role as. Um, Is being able to be the most portable form of money across trade, so they had to work together, and that's why it it ultimately had to be backed, and that's where a lot of this thinking around good money needs to be backed comes from. Um, So, with that key evolution, people have come from this framework, and then you know when we transferred to fiat money, and we have this global peer system since the '70s of fiat money, the the backing was pulled away and now there's there's nothing that actually uh provably backs our money anymore um so we effectively have a very uh non-relatively scarce form of money that people are conducting trade in today and everybody thinks it needs to be backed by something and people have kind of misconstrued this meaning and said like okay well um it's backed by the government um aka violence um and or you know it's backed by uh the credit of our government or the decision makers and their integrity. There's all these different ways that you can kind of look at that idea. And it's really just pulled the definition away from this idea that, well, money that was backed was something that was a redeemable form of money. And it's not as if that isn't going to exist in the future. It will exist in the future. And that's why we need to distinguish its meaning uh, precisely because, you know, the idea, if we're going to be talking about the lightning network, or if we're going to be talking about applications that run on top of Bitcoin, if we're talking about some sort of, you know, private free market banking system that starts to emerge between intermediaries that are using Bitcoin as reserve, then we're going to want to be using that term backed appropriately under those circumstances. So if we're talking about Bitcoin and we start saying things like, well, it's backed by energy, um, it's I define it in this article saying like, well, no, it's enabled by those things. Um, in the same way, that we wouldn't say gold is backed by energy, the energy of the miners that created. I mean, this, that's a very parallel way for us to look at it. Um, it's you know, if you were to use the term in that from that perspective, then you want to say, well, it's backed by a lot of things. It's backed by miners. It's backed by contracts. It's backed by you know the property rights that are being enforced by governments. So really, anything that could possibly or feasibly enable the production of something like gold, um, you could apply that similar type of thinking to Bitcoin. So if you're gonna say it's backed by something, and I think that we typically see in the community, um, a lot of people come at this when they use the term backing, when they really mean it's being enabled by it, they come at this from their own perspective. So, if you're an engineer, you typically see the argument saying we, uh, you know, it's backed by energy. If it's a developer, they say proof of work or some other aspects of the software that Bitcoin is, um, you know, Bitcoin uses. Um, or if it's, uh, you know, maybe somebody with like more of a marketing background, then they would say it's backed by the community. Um, and there's all these different ways that you can look at it because it's enabled by so many different things. So, if you're what I, you know? What I say in the article is like, if you really, if you want to keep using the term the way that you're using it, then you know, by all means, I can't control what you do, and maybe, maybe that's where the world goes, and we decide to change the word of backing or the meaning of the word backing. Um, but at least be complete, uh, because there's so much debate and time and energy that's spent. On people just looking at this question from their perspective and not having a cohesive view of what's going on here. And my point is that when, if we're talking about money, and that's what we're doing when we're talking about Bitcoin, then the purpose of defining it correctly through an economic framework is important because money is value. And v- economics is our way of Discerning differences in value and how value works and how we perceive that function, how to form expectations around it. So, if we are thinking about it from that perspective, then we need to use an economic framework because that's how we think about these questions in the first place. We don't think about them from a perspective of physics, we don't think about them from a perspective of software. Um, we think about these questions from an economic framework. So if we want to fundamentally describe that point to people, then we want to describe that point from an economic framework. And then we can say, well, where, what makes its properties good? And then we can get into that question and say, okay, well, it's enabled by the proof of work algorithm and it has a secure decentralized group of miners that allow it to have those things. Um, and then one key distinction from all of this is when we get into the topic of like decentralization and mining and all of that, and this is something that I argue for in my book, is we've defined these six properties throughout history, and, um, and these properties have all been good in uh, showing us what money is, but you know, what really made our money wrong is that we never really defined another property that says like, okay, well, throughout history, we've seen this trade of trust for efficiency in our money um you know in, in in primitive forms of money in localized groups you could argue that a lot of that was decentralized you know people they produce money themselves they stored it on themselves and they verified it amongst one another themselves so it was actually very decentralized in primitive forms and it's like over time we've centralized all those functions of production storage and verification of money and um and as we continued to centralize those, we were giving trust into the individuals who are controlling those functions on our behalf. And then ultimately, money became this very mutable thing, whereas formerly it wasn't as much. And that's kind of the trend that we saw in history. So I make this argument in my book saying that, you know, we should have like a seventh monetary property of immutability that's enabled through the de- decentralization of production, storage and verification of money. Um and so that, that kind of covers the majority of what I'm getting into with this article. I think one interesting question that somebody brought up on Twitter is they were like, OK, well, you know, who who kind of defined this idea that redeemable money is the term backing um, or backing is defined as uh, redeemable money? Why can't we use the term more broadly? And I say, well, like, number one, the idea like. You know, different words have different meanings under different contexts. But it's important to use the definitions appropriately under what context we're using. Under the context of money, the idea that it's redeemable money—it's not just something like uh, that. Somebody one day was like, "Okay, we're defining redeemable money as this." It's not, it's a natural emergent phenomenon that we observe throughout history. And if you read economic history texts, then it's pretty. Um, It's pretty obvious that that is what people are implying whenever they use the term money is backed by gold or it's backed by silver, it's backed by cigarettes or whatever it is. Uh, They're implying that it is redeemable. And um, it doesn't mean that the term backing doesn't apply differently in different contexts, but under money, um, definitions are very important here, not just here, but also right now as we're trying to push this movement of a new emergent monetary form. It's important that we define things very precisely and have our narrative uh, cohesive so that people don't get confused and start to really understand what's going on. So I think, you know, to round all of this out, um, this, is, uh, this is something that I think is important because it's going to help people grasp the way to properly view Bitcoin in the right context and remove them from this old kind of like almost like fiat uh, fiat era type of thinking that money needs to be backed by some sort of, you know, force. And it's not something that's
0: inherent to the characteristics of the good itself. Um, so that's pretty much it. I, I, one of the things I like about the way you explain things, Eric, is I think you're very concise and you get right to the root of it. You know, if you listen to, uh, people, when you talk to them about Bitcoin, if they bring this concept of back, of what is it backed by? It's exactly like you say that their understanding of it is just the very word "backed" implies that it's not good enough by itself. Like it's a derivative of something else, right? So that's super important, and I and I'm glad that you're you're um, you're making that point. If you're interested in Eric's book, it's called The Seventh Property. Hit his profile, throw him a follow. You'll be able to, to uh, see where to get the book. We have some questions from the people on stage. Go ahead, Sean.
4: Yeah. So, on the you know what what's it backed by? If if you guys missed it, uh, the Fed put out a paper. It's called "Money and Payments: The U.S. Dollar in the Age of Digital Transformation," and this is their initial conversation about a CBDC from the Federal Reserve. So, I'm just going to read a very small excerpt from this paper. A CBDC would not require mechanisms like deposit insurance to maintain public confidence nor would a cbdc depend on backing by an underlying asset pool to maintain its value so they make an argument in the uh, in this paper that says the things that you need in order to have confidence in your in your currency are liquidity and security their argument is that because they have an infinite number of units that they can flood into the money supply? They don't have a liquidity problem, which means they don't have a security problem. And because the monetary unit would be coming directly from the Federal Reserve, since they can create an infinite amount, there would be no uh, uh, there would be no insurance that's required on the deposits put into it. So they say it's not going to be backed by anything. Uh, There's not going to be any insurance on it. And they can create an infinite number whenever they want. So basically, a CBDC is an altcoin with an infinite number of units that doesn't even try to present a use case. (laughs) So they clearly state that they have no need to actually attach an asset to back this dollar. Like they they've outright said that themselves on the Federal Reserve website. Just go read the paper.
0: So so in other words, in other words, it's because they are so awesome and they have so much credibility that they don't need to back it by anything. Everybody's just going to trust them now. Yes. Wow. On their website.
4: Go read the paper. It's in fact, in case everybody's wondering, it's on page 17 of this article. <laughs>
0: trust us i mean i I bet you shane has a comment on this shane what are you thinking Uh,
12: i can't wait Uh, yeah thank you thank you guys and and crush it this last hour guys awesome um the thing is is you know the question arises how is this different from the u.s dollar it's not you know when you get into mmt and where these guys are going it's exactly the same thing, you know, and there's these great memes that float around out there. Like, you know, there's a, there's this talk of a currency out there that's backed by nothing that has an infinite amount of inflation behind it. And uh, it's, you know, basically what they're alluding to is the U S dollar. It's extremely risky. It's a, it's the exact same model. Uh, the only thing they would want to do is digitize all of it for uh, control and tracking purposes. So yeah, I, I obviously have my uh, my bias, but that's uh, it's it's no different. It's the same game. These guys aren't original. They're modus operandi, you know. Throughout, uh, I don't care if it's monetary or fiscal, uh, you know, spending or any of these different types of uh, fields. Whether it's defense, their M O. is old and it's tired. And I don't know. It's the the beautiful thing is you know people in this space. I can see it for what it is and call it out and and obviously destroy it in in a very concise way. So,
13: yeah. I'm I'm
0: going to go to Brady here in just one second. Um, But is it, is it fair to say that it's this, it's not even the same, it's even worse because with the fiat us dollar system as it is now, they're at least going through the motions And the pretense of creating treasury notes and swapping them back and forth and swapping money from one checking account to the other, basically, and saying that because of that, that there's some underlying asset, right? These guys are basically just saying it's because we're awesome,
12: yeah, well, yeah. It, it, exactly. What you're saying is we 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 are the people who add value. You got to trust your economic overlords here, because there's no way you could understand any of what's going on. And you know, for you guys, you know, uh, that are just commoners and plebes out there, we're not going to let you into these circles anyway.
0: It's 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 the future of money. CBDCs are powered by superior intellect, and you all are too dumb. So just trust us. God, it kills me. They, they, they to- all.
6: Also- can I, can I just step in, Alex, real quick? Another one of the sure. quotes that I found absolutely unbelievable and hilarious was it said, over the long term, the Fed might have to increase the size of its balance sheet to accommodate CBDC growth.
0: Just maybe.
6: It's possible.
5: God, yeah, are, they, are,
6: are they not tipping their hand? I mean, there's so many different quotes in here that you can pull out and just be like, this is absolutely ridiculous. They're, te- they're telling you in plain sight exactly what they think about themselves, their system, and also de facto by bit- what they think about Bitcoin.
11: I think a key point around a lot of this discussion is, uh, you know, uh, we can come at this discussion from the perspective of like, uh, you know, they're, they have all this confidence and they're being deceitful or, you know, whatever it is. And it's not that I don't dis- or It's not that I don't agree with that. But when you know, this is a very, uh, this is a very widespread form of thinking, like I remember in college, when I was educated on, you know, what money is, and when we, you know, briefly, or like gave just like a very cursory review over this idea, of you know, like monetary properties and functions. The idea of Bitcoin being uh, a or um, money being a store of value was actually defined not as something that maintains value over time, but as something that maintains price stability over time. And I think that's a key distinction because a lot of this discussion is it's built around this more modern, modern, uh, you know, like Keynesian type framework, obviously. And when you are talking to people from the other side and, you know, the way that I view this, I think it's important to try to, you know, meet people where they are and from their framework of understanding on these things. Um, But when you see these reports that the federal reserve is releasing and some of these quotes in it, then it's like, okay, how ridiculous is this? And if you talk to people from the other side, from that perspective, I don't think it's like, you're very good at selling them on that. I think a better, I think a better argument is thinking about this from the perspective of like, okay, well, you know, this, this is that framework of thinking and fundamentally, Uh, we've exported this concept that money is a form of value storage and we've pushed that into our investments. And we say, okay, well, money is not built for that. We're going to, you know, the fed's going to continue to expand its balance sheet. And, um, and that's the way the world works. And that's not just the way the world works, but it's the way it's supposed to work and you get your value storage from investing. And that's this Keynesian ideology. And that's kind of, you know, that's one of the primary purposes of this type of policy is to,
0: you know, spur that type of behavior in consumers. So I, Eric, I think, I think you just nailed it right there. The word ideology, the question, it's like you say, well, you know, you, you need to use proper arguments to, to convince some of these people or change their minds. And I, I wonder about that. Like one of the first things I want to know if I'm talking to somebody is do they even want to know the truth? Because by its very nature, what Sean was just saying, trust us. Cause we're awesome. It's, it's turned into a religion like it's literally like the priests with the robes and the holy water. Like we're the direct conduit to God, so therefore you must trust our money. So if it's an ideology, yeah. I mean, I don't know how much traction you're going to get with those folks.
11: Well, I you know I I, I think like um, people want to be liked and people want to feel smart, and I think that like when I approach people from other sides on these type of topics, I I try to validate what, what they have right first. And I just say like, okay, like, um, you know, there, there are benefits to some of these things and it's not that, uh, it's not that I disagree with some of that, but what's important to understand is here, here are some problems that also emerge. There's no perfect system. And here's some problems that emerge from your system. You know, maybe you consider the idea that there's a way to optimize across all of that. And perhaps we have an innovation that's doing that. And, um, that's try, that's how I try to go at it. I don't disagree that there's some people that will never learn, but I also think that they have, a, you know, people on the other side, they view Bitcoin people the exact same way. They're a religion. Um, they'll never listen to you about anything else. And when people, I, I see so much disagreement occur from people when a lot of it's over different definitions and a lot of it's over people not listening to other people in conversations before they respond. And like that, that's what I think is the deadweight loss of a lot of this. It's like there's so much time spent arguing that could be spent on building or it could be spent on people just like you know, trying to come at it from a better angle. Once again, there's a lot of people that aren't that way, but that's my two cents.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. We just have to have patience and grace, right? Try to see where they're coming from. And if they're, if they're sane, right? Then maybe try to get them to see a different perspective. Um, We lost Brady. I hope he comes back. I bet you had something good. But uh, Shane, go ahead. Oh, sorry. Yeah, I Shane want, we have two Shanes up
12: here. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. Hey, just to, to caveat on that, when when we're talking about these these different systems, uh, you know, K and Z in Austria, and Austrian, you know, which is obviously Bitcoin based and all that. Um, when when we're talking about the difference here, I think you know one of the greatest selling points for the Bitcoin crowd in terms of not being a, a cult uh, like the the other one, which I have affectionately named the Murder Cult. Um, it's it's consent. It's the it's that underlining factor. Is that basic you know factor of consent between between two people. If if you're not you know going to have consentful relations with other people, or right of association type of relations, whether it's you know your your rights or your money or whatever the the uh, the exchanges between one person to another person. That's where things really fall apart for the other side, the Austrian side that says, oh, yeah, we're awesome. Trust us. And oh, by the way, we're not just asking you to trust us. We're pointing a gun at you and mandating that you participate through force and coercion in our system. And that's the difference between the fiat and the Bitcoin uh, you know, types of uh, schools of, of, of economics.
0: Lots to think about and process.
11: Yeah, I think kind of on some of that, um, and I'm, I'm kind of like pushing back on a lot of these Bitcoin ideas this morning. So to, to be clear, like uh, I'm I'm very much in the, the Austrian camp on all of this, but um, but I think that I, I think a lot of people assume that transitioning from an economy that's structured around you know spending and investment to one that's structured around savings and sound money. It's not as if it comes without its trade-offs. And, uh, and I think that that's going to be, you know, this is obviously like a major global experiment that we're witnessing and we're going to be witnessing for quite a bit of time. But I, I think it's important to consider that so that like we're prepared to be like, okay, like it's not as if Bitcoin is going to bring this completely 100% perfect world. Like I think it'll be absolutely a net benefit. But, um, but by having a form of money that stores value well, the way that Bitcoin does, it will inevitably be more volatile than something that's constantly being backstopped for stability. And it's not to say that that's not superior. It's to say that that is somewhat of a trade-off still. And, um, and the effects of that are something that are probably going to persist for quite some time. And then, you know, on top of that, the idea that people are saving more, once again, absolutely a net benefit. Um, but it doesn't mean that we're going to have, you know, everything's going to happen very gracefully. You know, we're going to be entering a new period where um, investment and spending are going to be incredibly low. I, in fact, I think, you know, once we really do hit that point of hyper Bitcoinization, um, we're probably going to be feeling a lot of effects around that throughout the economy. And those are those are the things that are going to be used against Bitcoin for quite a bit of time. And it's, it's the trade offs that we're considering to make um, because we know how bad it can get. If we do the alternative, but um, but I think it's important to think about that too.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like if you if you think of it in terms of moving from a high time preference to a low time preference type of here. In other words, you know the U.S. dollar started devaluing at the very beginning. You know, back in 1913, when the passage of the Federal Reserve Act, you can measure it. It's devalued by over 98 percent in purchasing power over that time. So it could be argued that for more than 100 years, really, longer than probably anybody has been alive today, all we have ever known as human beings is, is money that loses purchasing power. That has a direct impact on our psychology and our, on our behavior. And I would even go far as to say, to get a little cosmic on you, is, is it's spiritual as well, because... You're operating in this framework of fear and lack, and like there's never enough, and you always have to work harder and run faster and work longer hours and be stressed out. And like if something bad happens, you're screwed. Right. Where low tide preference money that gains purchasing power over time, it completely shifts that energy. Now you're in abundance. Now you're in optimism. Now you're in growth. Now you're in hope. Now you're in let's let's look forward to the future instead of this nihilistic, oh crap, you know, the world's doomed kind of thing. It's awesome. Now, how long that takes to shift, I don't know, but this is like a huge opportunity for mankind to kind of level up as a species, I think.
13: Good morning, Tomer. What are your thoughts? yeah i'm just inspired by what you're saying by the way uh, just an audio check because I've, I've been having some difficulties listening to connection so before i ramble on can you hear me you are good please proceed okay yeah I, th- one of the ways that i like to think about what you were just describing alex is it's almost like the direction of time is reversed when you go from high time preference to low time preference and what i mean by that is not that time flows backward but what you expect to happen over time completely changes. Like a piece of fruit is expected to rot over time. But imagine, but initially when you get it, if it's not ripe yet, it ripens over time and it kind of goes through this curve. But low time preference is the expectation that everything is gonna get better with time. High time preference is the expectation that things are gonna get worse over time. And so it's built in to be pessimistic in the fiat system. To think, I got to get out of my money. I got to spend it. I got to enjoy it now, because it, I won't be able to enjoy it later. Versus the optimistic view, the betterment view, which says the longer I hold on to my money, the longer time frame I focus on, the better things are going to be. And and that <laughs> expectation becomes a self fulfilling prophecy, right? We can certainly see how under the fiat standard, when the fear of inflation comes up. It causes inflation. It causes purchasing. It causes speculation. It causes all of these things. Expectations drive the re- drive the reality, and so and and there's a reality layer underneath it as well. That like, the money supply is inflating, the purchasing power of it is decreasing. It, everything is being built for the short-term consumption, disposable mindset. So it is such a profound cultural difference. If you actually have a view of the world that the money that you earn is gonna be worth more in the future than it's gonna be worthless in the future. And it it will it will be this profound cultural shift that it's very hard to attempt to analyze in any economic way. It's, it's so much deeper than just that. It doesn't have to be classified as spiritual per se, but it is like, it's cultural, the culture shifts. And, and this again is where history bestows upon us the ability to look at Times in history where there was low time preference, great civilizations were built. Like we have the evidence; it's not just pure speculation. And times where there was high time preference, great civilizations fell and collapsed.
0: Yeah, largely because of the incentives in behavior. Right, high time preference systems encourage moral moral decay. Essentially, it encourages um, well. You know, it all doesn't matter anyway. So we might as well just be completely debaucherous and, and 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 engage in all kinds of nonsense, right?
13: It's like yeah, no. It's like if you're if you're on a plane and the pilot comes out and says we're crashing. That's it. Like, but we got two more hours. You you like order all the booze you want, right? You live it up. You know, do whatever you want in, in the aisles because we're not gonna make it. And that's really what the dollar mentality says. It says, like, we're not going to make it. We're just going to zero. We're crashing. There's, you know, the, the leaders who are uh, saying we are going to make it are entirely unpersuasive and untrustworthy and have not kept the promises ever in the past. As opposed to if you're, you know, if you're on a, on a plane and the pilot says we're, we're everything's going according to plan, we're going to make it. You're like you're busy booking your next flight. And this is really the difference, right? But you're you're planning for the future, or you're it, you're in fact expecting that there is no future. That's that's the fundamental difference.
0: Yeah, hundred percent. And like, again you know if it, if it weirds you out like we talk about spiritual things on occasion like think of it like a buffet does that make sense you're going through the buffet line if you see something you want to eat go ahead and take it like and if you don't then you know just move on but like to me it is a spiritual thing because it, well in my opinion it relates to your energetic state as a person like if you're in fear and you're lack in lack and doubt and stress all the time that's a spiritual state to me. Likewise, abundance, love, hope, that's a spiritual state as well, in my humble opinion. To bring it back kind of to the topic and the guest, because what I just said is almost, I don't want to say it's the opposite of his message, but Eric, one of the things I value about you, man, is, is that you come from sort of the the space of economics and finance professionals where everything is extremely practical and you're talking about the systems and you're talking about basically the legacy way of looking at things and i think you're an awesome bridge to bring people like that forward into bitcoin
11: thank you sir yeah i I think it is um i i think it's important because a lot of a lot of my thinking is definitely like I remember when I was first learning about Bitcoin and I was starting to get it, but I didn't get it well enough to like explain it. And I was trying to explain it to people and I'd hear the arguments they'd make. And I kind of started to learn like, here's what works, here's what doesn't work. And, um, and, and look like if, you know, the whole, there, there's kind of this idea. It's just like, Oh, like, you know, we, there's some people it's like, okay, well, we hope you're last to adopt Bitcoin and all of that. And it's just like, okay, you know, whatever. But like, if we are, thinking about, you know, bringing all of this together, then we want to bring everybody into the system and any argument that brings anybody in, I think is a good argument. And, um, well I guess I don't want to completely say that, but it has benefits. And, um, there's, uh, I, I think that like a lot of people that I would talk to, um, and, and this was, and this was one of the things that, you know, was motivating me to write my book was this idea that, um, a lot of the stuff that I read in the space, it's good, and it's brought in a uh, you know, huge movement of people, and that's a great thing, And but I think a lot of it does focus on things like the morality of things or um, a lot of theory, And uh, and one thing I wanted to focus on was more like practical explanations. And being like, OK, you know, I don't want to get caught up in the morality of things, because um, I know that if I use those types of arguments, if I use like high type preference arguments on finance people as to why that they should be moving into Bitcoin, um, they, they would probably be lost on that type of thinking. They don't really think in those terms. Um and but if you come at it from a perspective of like, no, like this is a superior form of money, it's going to capture the market of money over the long run. And here's like a really clear way of thinking about that. Then it's like, OK, well, that's a big deal. And then that, that's a huge thing, because I think that that's probably going to be the next wave of people that we really start to see are a lot of these capital allocators who we want them to perceive Bitcoin as being inevitable. Not perceive. We want them to know that Bitcoin isn't um, is inevitable. And, uh, and once they understand that, and once they, uh, understand that this is going to be this unstoppable network, I think that that's the important piece. So I think bringing a lot of these people with that type of framework who might totally disagree with you on this idea of, you know, we're going to have citadels and we're going to have a new form of morality that emerges in this new Renaissance. And, um, and it's going to benefit everybody, not just from, uh, from a perspective of their wealth, but a perspective of their own personal happiness and growth. Um, I just think that that's kind of lost on a lot of people and they view that as like, you know, hooey fooey or, you know, the more liberal kind of like atheist thinking type mindset um, that's much more practical about how how certain things work. So, yeah, I, I do think it's important. And if there's anything I've learned, it's that. When before I try to talk to people about Bitcoin, I really try to know my audience first. So the first thing I do before I say anything about Bitcoin is I say, "Yeah, so like, tell me what you know about it, what your opinions are," and um, and then that really helps me gauge where they're at, what they think, and they're going to be really quick to tell you what their criticisms are. And don't be afraid to play dumb for a little bit too. Um, you know, let them try to be a teacher to you on it, and then and then you really know what they think, and that that'll help you sell them quite a
0: bit more. Awesome. I hundred percent agree with that. Hundred percent agree. Always know who you're talking to. Know what the fish wants to eat instead of trying to stuff food that you think the fish wants to eat in the fish's mouth. Uh, I want to thank Sean Hoddle for for being here in the first half of the show this morning. Uh, I know you got to go, brother. So uh, thanks for swinging by. Uh, any last things you want to comment on, Sean? Before you go.
4: Yeah. Thanks for once again. Thanks for the invite, uh, Eric. It was cool to be on the the panel with you. I've heard really good things about your book. So I'm excited to, I'm, I'm going to be getting that later on this evening. Uh, if anyone is interested in what I write on Bitcoin Magazine, uh, my pinned tweet, give us my substack. I send out all my articles on the substack. So thanks for the invite, guys.
13: Thanks,
2: man. Yeah, thank you, Sean. And we'll, we'll throw that up in the nest, the substack. But uh, thanks for coming by, man.
13: If I could just offer one other quick thought here, and Eric, I, I certainly don't mean to suggest that you should take any tactic other than the one that you're taking, because for many of us who have now this, uh, this, quote, spiritual view of the future of Bitcoin, that's not how we got into Bitcoin either. We looked at something and we said, oh, this sounds like a sound thing to invest in. Uh, this sounds like a good thing to invest in. Right. It was only in time that we said, oh, I noticed something is changing about me. I notice that my fear of the future is reduced. I, you know, and I noticed that I have this optimism and this hope. And so that was all um, something that came later. And it's not it's not necessarily the way to bring somebody in, but it is when somebody's been in for a little while. It it's one of these things that happens that that it's nice to be there for someone to explain to them what's going on as it's happening to them.
0: All come to. Depends on the fish, right? Depends on who you're talking to. There's a lot of people who are struggling. And uh, if they're struggling, I think people who look at others who have hope and optimism and peace, they might be thinking to themselves, wow, how do I get me some of that? And if you have a huge stack to protect, in other words, you're managing money, etc., you're probably going to think more along the terms of what Eric's talking about. So it's it's all dependent upon who you are, I think know your audience like he says i agree with that bad wolf good morning
14: hey good morning so um i I won't i won't go on the sermon here but uh i appreciated the the slight uh shift into the spirituality spirituality aspect um one of another word for you know for what you're saying i think is suffering um and, and i think we've all kind of felt a little bit of suffering some pain you know this month just with the, the massive price swings, you know, doesn't matter what asset you own, everything has just been uh, deflating uh, in this momentary shift. But one of the things that I, I, would, I just want to point out is that in, in a Bitcoin economy, no moment is ever wasted. Um, n- nothing is wasted. So even in, in these, you know, massive drawdowns, you know, seeing prices go in from 60,000 into the 30s, you know that's not a wasted moment. Um, that's actually an opportunity. And, you know, but, but the pain, I think that we feel is not the price. It's the panic of, of people around us. You know, we, we, we kind of feel their pain, their emotions. And, um, so I, um, actually heard a really good sermon, uh, you know, Christian sermon this, uh, this weekend. And it, bas- it just reminded me, uh, of, of something very important. So Paul, He says that we should rejoice in suffering and in the and the reason why and basically what he he lays out a, a very brief outline. He basically says suffering builds endurance and endurance builds character and character builds hope. And basically the way that works and the way I would apply that to like Bitcoin, for instance, you know, Anybody who's been around Bitcoin, like I've, I'm like technically class of 2018, but I really started the hodling in 2020. Um, you go through these drawdowns and you actually build endurance to it. You build a thicker skin to it. Uh, anyone that's been in Bitcoin long enough will tell you that they, they, they really don't get phased by the price movements like this, like a lot of people are doing. They build, they because they built endurance. But what's really important about the endurance is that that builds character. And character, you you can't just go out and read an article and suddenly have character. You can't just obtain Bitcoin knowledge watching YouTube videos and build character. You actually have to own the product and go through these experiences. So back to the point of nothing being wasted in a Bitcoin economy, like for true HODLers, you go through this, you build the endurance, now you have character and that's something that whenever you talk to people around you, it builds hope because you can tell when someone has the Bitcoin character and, and the way they talk about Bitcoin and about how it's going to change the world. You can see that character. You can hear that character in their voice. And that builds hope. And, and I think that's important. But like, that's how you get through these price dips is you just remember what you had and remember that this is not a wasted moment.
0: That's about it. Yeah. Just reminds me of uh, there's this saying SEAL teams have is the only day was the only easy day was yesterday. And uh, a lot of those guys encourage a lifestyle of of embracing being uncomfortable because all growth comes from when you're uncomfortable. So awesome discussion, man. Love it. We've got about five minutes left. So let's start moving towards uh, wrapping up. If you have, Final questions for Eric or final thoughts? Let's do that and then we will wrap. Shane, what are you thinking?
1: Yeah, I just wanted to thank Eric again for the article. You know, we talked about this probably about a week ago or so, and then now he's put out this article. Very helpful resource. I know I will be using this in the future because it is something that a lot of people ask or, or, you know, talk about is what's Bitcoin backed by. So thanks for putting this out here for the community to use. No need to thank me, man. appreciate the
0: support. All right. If no other thoughts or questions from the panel, Eric, uh, you've got the floor for a few minutes. Do you have any last things that you want to talk about? I, I really appreciate you coming by and discussing this with us. You have a very precise point of view and the way you talk about bitcoin i think is super important for the future of the ecosystem especially as we start onboarding professional money managers
11: yeah thanks man um you know like yeah i guess like final thoughts around this i think it's just uh you know the thing what you know a lot of this conversation is being based around is um and i think a lot of the problems that emerge in some of this discussion We're going over, it's just like Bitcoin is this technology that's at the confluence of so many different areas and and that causes a lot of problems for it despite all the genius that is a part of it as well. And, you know, there's just people from different groups with different backgrounds and different perspectives who are all coming at it from a different angle. And, you know, achieving that consensus is is a tricky thing. And and we see how that happens in the community. And we see how that happens across the different narratives that people have. And, you know, diversity of narrative is incredibly important uh, because, you know, when you know, to what some of the guys up here were saying earlier, like this, uh, you know, the, the, this whole idea around the more like religious or spiritual aspects and, uh, that type of reasoning, that is something I would never come into this space with. And that has caused a huge movement of people to join the space. And they, and they are, you know, um, and they're very devout towards that type of thinking. And like, that's awesome. And I'm never going to understand it, but that's bringing more people in. And I think that's a great thing. And, um, Uh, So I I think it's important to uh, to really just, uh, you know, put the work in and to try to if people can really think from other people's perspectives, that that would be probably a lot more helpful in pushing some of these narratives more rapidly and uh, and having people come to consensus a bit more quickly about some of these things too. And it doesn't mean that we can't have different narratives that are bringing different people in, but it means like, let's not waste all our time talking past each other because we have a hard time thinking about each other's perspective in a certain conversation. And, uh, and I, I think that save a lot of time because, you know, well, one thing that I, that I've kind of realized being relatively, you know, recent to this space is I think that there's so much time spent arguing about things and it's not that that's not necessary. You have to debate things. You got to argue about stuff. It's how you come to, you know, conclusions and you, you know, work through a lot of problems, but there's definitely things that are, there's so many things still being argued about today that were issues that emerged, you know, what, like eight years ago or something. And, uh, And a lot of those things could probably be a bit more efficient and people could be spending more time, um, you know, rather than arguing on Twitter or shitposting and people are getting angry and, you know, hurting their reputations. They could actually spend time building things because like that's the biggest issue for Bitcoin right now. And it's, it's not to discredit what's been done or what's currently being worked on. But there's quite a bit that needs to be done before Bitcoin can compete with the traditional finance system, and it can provide the level of you know customer care and service that people are um, people are familiar with, and and that all comes from people rolling up their sleeves and working. And um, so I, I think that if you don't have anything valuable to say, then be careful. And also you know, consider building for the ecosystem because, uh, once again, a lot of these debates people have around, you know, NFTs and Ethereum, whether or not people want these things, it's like, well, you know, we, we do see that people do want these things because there is real demand for it. And, um, to some degree, whether that's overbloated or not is a separate question, but to some degree. And, uh, and whether or not we like that, if Bitcoin had the ability to produce some of the utility that, you know, whether or not we understand it, people want, um, then we wouldn't even be having the conversation in the first place. The fact that we have to argue with like, alternative protocols about things is kind of the problem in the first place. If Bitcoin just had far superior utility, wouldn't be doing that in the first place. So um, I think you know, focus less on getting angry and shitposting at people and focus more on how can we actually do productive things and solve the system. And I think that'd be an
0: overall net benefit outstanding thanks eric so much i appreciate that message man we really need to i I could personally probably embrace that a little more i've been a little juvenile lately so yeah me too (laughs) well yeah (laughs) mcdonald's hats and all um awesome stuff great conversation today uh
2: i think we may have lost him he'll be back in a second Uh, oh well uh but it was an awesome conversation conversation today alex you're back
0: Yeah, I totally just crashed because I was wrapping up. (laughs) It's hilarious. Um, Yeah, so we'll we'll wrap. I want to thank everybody for being here. Awesome show today. A couple of quick things. Um, If you want to catch the show later as a podcast, you can on Spotify. Third Jacob Pope will follow. He'll tweet out when that's posted. Uh, Bitcoin 2022 conference. Promo code SWAN for 10% off. If you want a job in Bitcoin, you can follow um, Bitcoin or Jobs which is a handle that's down in the audience right now. Um, constantly posting new jobs in uh, the Bitcoin ecosphere. Um, yeah, you've been listening to Cafe Bitcoin. We do this every single day, Monday through Friday, starting at 7 a.m. Roll for about two hours, or sorry, 7 a.m. Pacific. Roll for about two hours, talk about all things Bitcoin. If you want to learn about Bitcoin, great place to hang out. We'd love to have you. I want to thank my co-hosts, Ant. Jacob Pope, you guys are awesome. Thanks to all the speakers. Eric, thanks for being here. Throw Eric a follow. Check out his bio, buy his book. Um, And to all the other speakers who come in here every single day, spend your own personal time to help people understand what Bitcoin is. You guys are all awesome. I work with Swan Bitcoin, managing director with Swan Private. If you want to learn more about Bitcoin, I'd be happy to help you personally. You can shoot me a DM. And then finally, for everybody who is here, understands what we're doing is we're trying to help people understand what Bitcoin is. The other 7 billion people on the planet, orange pulling them And if you're brand new. Love you guys to be here all the time as well. And just, if you understand what we're doing, like, sometimes you get a little choked up about this because it's super important to me. Like, this thing, I personally believe, is the only peaceful path we have forward to the future. I, I really think that if we don't do this thing, like there are, there are paths ahead that maybe not be so rosy. So I hope you guys all understand that and uh all on the mission. Love you guys. Everybody go out there, have a great day. Crush it. Bye, everybody.